We ask this question a lot around here, and it goes like this. If the ultimate destination for all believers is heaven, if that's where we're all going to ultimately go, then why are you still here? Like, like, what's the point? Why have we been left in this broken, messy, imperfect world if the ultimate place that we're all going to spend eternity is a perfect place called heaven? Why would a loving God leave us here? Why doesn't He, as soon as someone hands over the keys of their life to Jesus Christ, why doesn't He immediately zap us up to heaven and we get to spend eternity loving Him in a safe and perfect place and, and bypass all the struggle and the pain here on earth? Why doesn't He do it that way? The answer to that question is at the heart of this next two weeks that we're going to discuss together. If you want to, you could look at this as a, a little mini-series that is the foundation for what we're going to talk about here at the bridge for the next seven weeks. And so we're calling this series, This Is What We Do. This, this two-week little mini-series and it answers, the, this, this is what we do series, answers the question, why are we still on earth and not already in heaven? You could think about the next two weeks like this. This is what life is all about. This is why we exist. This is what we're supposed to be doing. Maybe a good way to look at it is to think about some other walks of life and what they do. For instance, our, our first responders and our military personnel, they protect and serve the people of our country. It's, it's what they do, right? That makes sense to everybody. That is what they do. Teachers, they share knowledge and life skills with young minds. It's, it's just what they do. This is what they do. Doctors and nurses help sick and injured people get well. Politicians, they... Never mind. Uh, <laughs> You thought I was going to go there, didn't you, right? That is not what we do here. Uh, the point is, uh, what we're going to discuss over the next two weeks is what we as a church and we as individuals who identify ourselves as followers of Jesus Christ, it's what we're supposed to be doing. What, what is life all about? Now, if you look at this logo on the screen real quick, I want to explain that plus and minus because everything we're going to talk about for the next seven weeks, not just the next two weeks, but uh, after this two-week mini-series, we're going to go into a five-week series called A Better Way, and that series is basically our core value series. It's, it's the things that are most important to us here at the Bridge Fellowship. It's the hills that we're willing to die on. You know, the color of the carpet and, and this song or that song or anything like that or the volume of the music, those things are negotiable. These, these five things we're going to talk about in this Better Way series are the things that are non-negotiable for here, us here at the Bridge Fellowship, right? But everything we're going to talk about over those seven weeks, here's the bottom line. If we rely on the pastor or even your pastor and the church staff to grow God's church by reaching for and caring for people, we will never get there. That's addition. In other words, if, if, if we adopt the mentality, well, we pay the pastors to do the ministry, which, by the way, is very unbiblical. The Bible actually says that my job as your pastor is to equip the saints to do the ministry. That's my job, right? And so, so if you think about it like this, 
if we rely on me or even myself and our staff team to reach greater Colorado Springs and then Colorado and the United States and the world, we're never going to get there because that's me adding one person at a time. But if everyone who feels like or calls the bridge their home church, if everyone buys into this vision, if everyone invites people, reaches out to their neighbor, gives tithes and offerings, serves to the church, then we multiply and we reach people much, much faster. Does that make sense to everybody? And so as we discuss everything we're going to talk about over the next several weeks, make sure you understand that if we rely on me to do this, and I'm not saying some of you do an amazing job, but churches not just the bridge church but churches all across the world today are full of spectators and christianity was never meant to be a spectator sport it's taking what jesus has done in your life and wanting to share it with other people in a multitude of ways and so if we can understand that and everyone get involved and everyone do their part listen to me you won't be able to describe in words to people what god will do if we will all buy into this. So, all that's out of the way. Now, let's answer this question. What is the this that we do? If we're calling this this next two weeks, this is what we do, what is this that we do? And it's a fair question, and and to answer that question, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 22. So if you have your Bible or your smartphone, electronic device, whatever, if you want to turn there with me to Matthew chapter 22, it's also going to be on the screens for you. And we're going to pick up in verse 34, but let me set the stage for you. In Matthew 22, Jesus is encountering two types of people. And if you've grown up in church at all, if you went to vacation Bible school, if you had any exposure to the Bible as a kid, you've heard these two words over and over again. There were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And, and for, for our sake of our conversation today, all you need to know is both of these groups, Pharisees and Sadducees, Sadducees were very religious people. They, they kept the religious law, the Jewish law, to a T. But what they, and, and by the way, they didn't even necessarily like each other. The Pharisees didn't necessarily like the Sadducees. But what they had in common is they both hated Jesus. They hated what he was telling people because it blew their minds as far as everything they'd been taught about who God is and how we relate to him. And Jesus was teaching a whole new paradigm. And even though they didn't like each other all that much, they definitely, both groups, did not like Jesus. Okay, So he's been dealing with them. They've been asking him questions about taxes and about the resurrection and all that kind of stuff. And so we pick up the story in verse 34 of Matthew 22, and this is what the Bible says. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them who was an expert in religious law, tried to trap Jesus with this question. This is what he asked him. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Now here's something important for us to remember today is that when they're asking Jesus this, keep in mind the New Testament hasn't been written yet, right? Like they're living out the New Testament right right in this story. So they don't have the Gospels. They don't have the letters from Paul. They don't have any of that the law of Moses basically was their Bible. They had the law of Moses, right? All the, the, the first five books of the Bible, and then they had uh, words from the prophets. Okay, and Jesus is going to refer to those prophets in a minute, but what you need to know is basically what they're asking Jesus is, 
hey, Jesus, in your opinion, what's the most important command in the whole Bible? That's a pretty good question. Like, if, if you think about it for a second and, and how we live out our lives, if you only had to pick one command to live by, it would probably be good to know which was the most important one, and then you could not bother with all the other ones and just go, I'll just follow that one. That one's the most important one. I'll focus on that one. And, and that's the conversation that they're having with Jesus. What's the most important commandment in the whole Bible? And he's going to answer them. Look at verse 37. Now Jesus replied, you must, here's part one of the commandment, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus basically boils down the whole Bible into these two things. Love God and love other people. Right? Now he goes on, he's not done, but he says this in verse 40. The entire law and all the demands of the prophet. Now he really is talking about the whole Bible at that time. All of that is based on these two commandments. And in other words... Everything else you read in Scripture, the foundation for that is what I just told you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Not too long ago, uh, there was a guy that played football in the National Football League called Terrell Owens. People call him T.O. And there's this famous video of him on the sidelines where he's ranting and raving about something, and I have no idea what it was because he was always doing that. But he runs over the camera, he looks at the camera, and he yells this. I love me some me, right? And, and I, I know what you're thinking. Like when you saw that, your tum- stomach turned, you're like, what a jerk, right? But in reality, he was right. Because we do love us some us, don't we? Like, like, and, and I'm not saying that we don't struggle with self-image or self-esteem or self-worth, but when it boils right down to it, we want ours. And we're really good at looking out for number one. Like, we will, we will manipulate people to get our way. We will fight for what we want or think we should have in our lives. We want what we want. And, and most of us, our number one priority in our lives when we really boil everything else down is us, ourselves, right? And so what he's saying on that second part is, love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. And actually, later in the, the, uh, the New Testament, Paul, in one of his letters, says, no, let's take it a step further. You ought to love other people more than you love yourself. So, so the, the, if, if, we, if we take all that down, right, basically what we're saying is this. Look at this on the screen. We were put here on earth to do two things. Love God and love other people. Now, What I'm about to say may not be a very popular statement, but according to what we just read in Matthew 22, it's true. Contrary to what this world, the media, your parents, your friends, your teachers, may have told you and taught you, this life that we live here on earth is not about acquisitions, titles, accomplishments, or achievements. That's not what this life is about. It's not about the stuff that you own or the status that you gain. think of it this way for a minute. If life here on earth is 80 to 100 years, let's just say it is, and eternity is forever and ever and ever and ever, then think about this for a second, right? Here's some really hard truth about life versus eternity. 
you are not taking your money and your possessions with you when you die. Now, I know sometimes at funerals, and I think it's creepy, but people do it, they'll put prized possessions in the casket with people, right? They'll put some, uh, their military medals or, or their favorite baseball, whatever, right? They put things in there as they close the casket, and their thinking is, now he can take that with him or she can take it with her. And the reality is we have to keep in mind what's going in that casket is staying in that casket. You don't get to heaven and you have a backpack and you look at Jesus and go, this is just some stuff I brought with me, Jesus, from, from earth. It's, it's cool, right? None of that stuff is going with us. You're not taking your career with you. You're not taking your awards or accolades. None of that is going with us. In fact, according to Scripture, there are only two things in this world that you can take with you when you die. Your relationship with Jesus and other people that you introduce to Jesus. That's it. Those are the only things that you can cross over to heaven with. Have you ever thought about this for a second, that maybe the reason so many people in this world are so unhappy is because they continue to try to make this life about things that don't really matter? Including, right? So again, we were put here on earth to do two things, love God and love other people. So the logical next question is this, what does that look like practically in my life? In other words, how do I do that? How do I love God and love people? What does that look like on a daily basis? And so today, in the first part of this, this is what we do series, we're going to tackle the love God part, and then next week we'll, tack, we'll come back and do love others. Okay? But before we do that, let me make a little side note here. As we talk about these two things, loving God and loving other people, over the next couple of weeks, I want us to look at them from two separate angles, okay? And don't miss this. We need to look at these things from the perspective of us as individuals, followers of Jesus Christ, people who have handed over the keys to Jesus and said, I want to live for you for the rest of my life. I want you to be the boss. I want you to call the shots. We need to look at these commands from that perspective and then also from the perspective of us as a church, as the Bridge Fellowship, as a group of believers, as a family as believers, what does this mean for us? Right? What does this mean for us? What should, we, what should it look like in the context? Loving God and loving others. What should that look like in the context of what we're trying to do here with the Bridge Fellowship? And then as individuals, what should that look like in my daily life as I go to work and go to the gym and take care of my kids and, and interact with my neighbors? Like, what should that look like to love God? What, what does that look like in my daily life? Now, let me say this. If you're a visitor or you're just kicking the tires on God, right? You're not sure if you're in on the God thing yet and, and here, here's my message to you today. Just relax, Okay? We're going to talk about and say some hard things over the next seven weeks. If you hear something that, that rubs you the wrong way or that you don't agree with, it's okay. It's okay. If you hear something that encourages you or that you do agree with, great. Here's what we've realized at the Bridge Fellowship. It takes all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people. And we understand that the Bridge Fellowship may not be the right church for everybody. In fact, I promise you it's not. 
And there are lots of great churches all across the city and around the United States and around the world that might fit you, even if the Bridge Fellowship doesn't. So if, if, uh, if you look at us and go, man, that church is messed up, listen, start right here, because this guy's messed up. Okay, the, we have this running joke behind the scenes where people from time to time will say, and they let you be a pastor. And it's a lot more valid than you might think. You might think we're being silly, but listen, this guy is broken. This church is broken. We're not going to get everything right. We make a lot of mistakes, but here's my hope as your pastor. My hope is that in these two areas, loving God and loving other people, I hope we get that part right. So, let's dive into these, these commandments. This, this first one, love God. So, look here on the screen. Here's the million-dollar question. What does it look like practically to love God in my life? And, and the easiest way to answer that question is for us to think about how we love our loved ones here on earth. Now, again, next week we'll get into the biblical perspective of how we should love others But here are a few examples of how humans show love to each other, and it makes sense that this is how we should show love to God, too. Ready? Here's number one. If we're going to love God practically, the first thing we need to do is learn more about Him. And and guys, leave that up on the screen for a minute as we talk. Here's why learning more about Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, all of that kind of stuff. And I probably just freaked you out by saying all those. And, and everybody, like the word Trinity, what does that mean? That's for another time and another discussion. Just know this. You can't love someone that you do not know. Right? And, and so it makes sense that if you're going to love someone, you need to learn more about them. In fact, the closer that we are, and, and this doesn't apply for humans all the time, but I promise it works for you and God. The closer you get to know someone, the more you know about them, the more your love for them grows. And again, even with humans, that's true some, but some of us have encountered other human beings that we get to know them more and we're like, yeah, I don't love them that much, right? And by the way, it works on the other side of the coin. They just don't tell you, right? People get to know you and they go, yeah, I just don't like them as much as I thought I did, okay? Works both ways. But for God... It is a fact. The more you learn about Him, the more you'll realize how much He loves you, and in return, the more you'll love Him. Let me give you an example. You know when we first start dating, uh, you can talk to someone for hours and hours and hours, and it just seems like no time is going by. We've all been there. Remember these days, and and you have to understand, I grew up uh, in the days of no cell phones, and we had the phone that hung on the wall with the little pigtail cord, right? And if you were lucky, and I was, that cord will stretch just long enough to where you can pull the cord into your room, pull the cord under the door, shut the door, and lay by the door and still talk on the phone, right? That, that, that was my life, right? Do you remember this moment? Did you ever encounter this where you're talking on the phone with that new person in your life and you're just talking and talking and talking for hours and then it gets to the end of the conversation and it goes something like this. You hang up first. No, you hang up, right? And it goes back and forth and then silence ensues until one person goes, hello? 
and you realize the other person has fallen asleep on the phone, right? We, we've all been there, okay? There was actually a study not too long ago about people who encountered a situation in life where they were stranded together. For instance, like, uh, like stranded in a snowstorm on the highway or stranded in an airport for days or uh, stranded on a cruise ship that runs out of power, which is, by the way, why I don't go on cruises. Uh, anyway, um, they, they did this study, and here's what they found out. More often than not, those people that were trapped together in that situation and had nothing but time to learn more about each other, after that incident, those people became very close. It's well documented here at the Bridge Fellowship that my, my wife and I are heavily addicted to the reality show Survivor. Yes, it's still on, in case you're wondering. And yes, it's still awesome, and we watch it all the time. And here's a reality about that reality show, is that often, very often, these people that spend, some of them two weeks, three weeks, 40 days, on an island together, and what we see on the show that, that, that Wednesday night is just maybe an hour out of their whole lives that week, right? But what we don't catch on TV is that they literally have hours and hours and hours to just sit around and get to know each other more. And what happens to many of these contestants on Survivor's documented, Google it, don't take my word for it, is that after they go on the show and they spend all those days on that island together, they become lifelong friends because they were able to learn more about each other. Paul, in his, in his letter to Philippians, puts it this way, chapter 3, starting in verse 8. And we looked at this a couple of weeks ago from another angle, but it fits perfectly right here. Now, you've got to understand that if you think about all the things we just mentioned about life here on earth, accolades, accomplishments, titles, Paul had them all. He, he, he had everything that this earthly life has to offer, right? And this is what he says about all that, starting in verse 8. The Bible says this, Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with Him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with Himself depends on faith. And look at this last statement in verse 10. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised Him from the dead. And by the way, there's an insinuation there by Paul that I can't experience the mighty power that raised Him from the dead unless I know Him. And there's a difference between knowing about Him and knowing Him. Right? We, we all know about a bunch of celebrities. We all know about a bunch of famous politicians, but we don't really know them. And, and, and what Paul is saying here is if you really know Jesus, you will know the same power in your life that raised Him from the dead. That's pretty amazing, right? So, so the first thing we didn't know about, what does it look like practically to love God with my life? Learn more about Him. And how do you do that? Well, that's number two. Look at this. If you're going to learn more about Him, you have to spend time with Him. Look with me at Mark chapter 1, verse 35, and it's this obscure little passage in, in the, the, the Gospel of Mark, the biography of Jesus written by Mark. And, and uh, what, what's just happened before this scene is Jesus has been running all over creation healing people. 
right? Like all over the area that he lived at that time, people are wanting him to fix this problem and heal this sickness or illness or whatever it is. And so he has been very, very busy. Life has been chaotic for Jesus. But this is how he responds the next morning. Look at verse 35. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up, went out to an isolated place where he prayed. He, he prayed. And so, so let that settle for a minute. If Jesus Christ himself made it a priority to spend time talking to his heavenly Father, because that's what we mean by spending time with him, right? It's just talking to him. If Jesus needed to pray, shouldn't we? And listen, everything I'm about to say, I want to be careful because I, I'm not that pastor. I don't want to be legalistic here, okay? But the reality is that we all need time with Jesus. We don't make it a priority like we should, but all of us would agree that it should be a priority. It's one of the hardest things in the world is to develop a consistent daily time alone with God. And, and I don't think it's a coincidence in Mark 1.35 that Jesus went out very early in the morning to pray. I don't think that's on accident. Let me tell you why. I played football for a lot of years, and it wouldn't make sense to one human being in this room today for football players to go out and play a game of football with no helmet, no shoulder pads, no, thought, no protection whatsoever, go play the game, go get beaten to a pulp, then come back in the locker room at the end of the game and put on our armor, right? The helmet, shoulder pads, all that. That, that makes no sense, does it? Like, if, if you knew a football player that did that, you'd go, you're stupid, right? Sorry if you don't like me to say stupid in front of your kids, but that's stupid, right? Like, like you, you put the armor on before the battle, correct? It just makes sense. Now, I'm not saying be legalistic about it. I'm not saying let the enemy, the chatterbox, beat you over the head of, you didn't pray this morning before you went to work. You didn't read your Bible before you went to school. Listen, the bottom line is, just spend time getting to know God. That's the bottom line. When you do it is not as important as that you do it. Right? If you want to do it in the morning, or at night before you go to bed, or both, or whatever... Just spend time. One of the things we encourage here at the Bridge Fellowship is this thing we call chair time. And it's not our idea. It actually comes from Pastor Bill Hybels at Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago. And he, he's one of the most influential pastors of our day, one of the most influential churches in our modern day. And he came up with this theory of picking a chair in your home somewhere. Could be inside, could be outside on the patio. Pick a comfortable chair and carve out 15 minutes a day. That's it. Not an hour, just 15 minutes to sit in that chair and spend time with God. Read your Bible, pray and talk to Him. Whatever is comfortable for you, just set aside some chair time every day. And the point of it is this. If, if you spend time with Jesus, right, you will learn more about Him. The more you learn more about Him, the more time you're going to want to spend with him. It just makes sense. And just as a, a testimony here, just as a satisfied customer, there has never been a day where I set aside time to spend with Jesus Christ and I got up from the table or the chair and thought, what a waste of time. That has never happened in my life. And I've been a believer for 32 years, and I'm telling you, there's never been a time when I spent time with God and I regretted it. 
I'm not saying it's easy. It does take time. So, again, as we learn more about someone, and again, it doesn't always work with humans, but it does with God, the more we learn about them, the more we want to spend time with them. The more we spend time with them, the more we want to learn about them. And here's the great part. When those two things are firing on all cylinders as it relates to loving God, when you are spending more time with Him and learning more about Him, then something even more special happens, and that's practical step number three, and that is you learn to adore Him. You, you, like you, you, you cross this threshold to a place where you've never been. And, and, and when we really love someone in our lives, it's not this robotic manufactured response. If it has to be manufactured, then it's not love. Right? So look at this definition of adoration here on the screen. To adore someone is an auto-response that comes from a deep love and respect for another person. And, and leave that up, guys, because that one's worth taking a picture of. We, we, uh, we have things where you can take notes here at the Bridge Fellowship, but sometimes it's easier to just take a picture of the screens, and we're fine with that. That one's worth taking a picture of. Adoration is an auto-response that comes from a deep love and respect for another person. That's why back in the day when we loved someone, we had this tendency to give them gifts and to revere them. Like when I was growing up and I had in junior high or high school and there was a girl that I liked, I would hang her picture on my wall. I actually remember, and I'm embarrassed to admit this, but you probably did it too, so don't judge me, but I actually dated one girl and I kept her picture on my dashboard in front of the speedometer in my car, right? So I guess she was with me everywhere I went. I have no idea. I don't even know if, where that girl is anymore, but that's beside the point. We would uh, see if you did this. We would draw things on our notebooks, right? We would carve things into trees like so-and-so hearts so-and-so, right? And for you really young people in here, writing your name on trees with your beloved one goes way back, like even before the ancient 80s, right? It goes way, way, way back, right? We've been doing this forever. We, we save them a seat when we go somewhere because we adore them. We deeply love and respect them and we just want to be with them. Doesn't that make sense? Now, you're, you're not going to believe this, but what I'm about to tell you is absolutely true, okay? In Texas, this is not a joke. In Texas, when you invite someone to homecoming, you buy each other these giant flower things called mums. Look at this. This is this is true story right here, okay? All right, so here's the way it works, okay? You, you buy, you ask someone to homecoming, and if they say yes, you buy each other these giant flower things called mums. Some of these things, the cost for them can soar over $300 a piece, right? And, and so here's what happens. The guy wears his on his arm, the girl literally puts it around her neck and wears it all day at school. Can you say chiropractor, right? And if you, if you think this one's crazy, look at the next one here. Look at this one. That's adoration, people. That is when you adore someone, not just that you'll drop 350 bucks on the giant flower mom, it's adoration, it's deep love and respect that you will actually put your body through the pain and suffering to wear that thing all day, right? And Texas is the only place in America I've seen this, and it is completely socially acceptable on homecoming to do this. If you were in, any, if you were in New Jersey and wore this on homecoming, you'd get shot. 
It's, it's like it's a response for our love for each other. It's amazing the things that we will do to show our, our love and respect for each other. Today, for most of us, we do it on social media, don't we? we we've all seen pictures something like this. It's a pic of our beloved man holding a baby or a puppy or a beer. And, and the post simply says this, heart him, Right? You've all seen this, right? Uh, uh, recently, this movement went around on social media called I Love Us. And, and you've seen things like this, right? Okay, now, uh, for the record, and I'm on video here, I'm not against this, okay? I think that's wonderful. I think you ought to post your love declaration for your loved ones, and I have nothing against the I Love Us movement. I just wish we would be a little more honest on social media. And a week after posting I Love Us, I think it would be great if we post a picture of the object that we threw across the room at that person that we love with a post that says this, I love us less this week than I did last week. Stay tuned. Right? <laughs> like if we would just be more honest about it. Another way we, we declare our love for people is, is we have our song, don't we? Like when we adore someone, and some of you, you had it as a teenager, some of you, you and your spouse still have it, and the longer you're married, the more awkward it is when that song comes on, you know, you're, and, and it used to be really our song, and we, we have songs that when we hear them, we think about that person in our lives. In fact, sometimes we even write songs to or about the ones that we love and adore. I fall into this category. I know you're shocked, but I'm a songwriter, okay? Your, your pastor has many talents. When I was in the fifth grade, that's right, I met a girl named Tanya. And I had such a deep love and affection. Like, I adored this girl as much as one fifth grader can adore another fifth grader, Right? <laughs> I met her at church, and we didn't go, and by the way, she knows about this song, so Tanya, if you're watching today, you're welcome, you have your own song, but anyway, like, I didn't go very much, but I started going more when I met Tanya. Like, my parents were shocked, because I was the kid that never wanted to go to church, and all of a sudden, I was asking, are we going to church today? So parents, mark this. If your kids start asking you, are we going to church today, it may have nothing to do with God, Okay? <laughs> It may that be that they have found another one that they adore, and they just want to go see them. Anyway, I, I started adoring Tanya, okay? Uh, and, and by the way, the cool thing about the story is she became dear friends with our family and was youth volunteer at our church. It, it's great. Anyway, uh, I know it seems awkward, but it, it was great. So, so I decided to write this song about her, and I found these lyrics rolling through my head, fifth grade lyrics, right? And only one problem, I can't sing. Okay, now, not all songwriters are good singers, and I would fall into that category too, but I, I noticed as a young boy that people who could really sing, when they held out a note, something magical happened to their voice, right? And I now know that's called vibrata, right? But I was amazed that when someone would, would hold out a note at, at, in a song that they were singing, their voice would sound like this at the end, uh, right? And I thought, that's amazing, I wish I could do that, right? But as I'm writing my song, my voice wouldn't do that, except that I found out, discovered, that if I go around the side of my mom's house to the air conditioning unit, and I sing into the air conditioning unit, 
my voice sounds like those good singers, right? The whole time I'm singing, it sounds like this, right? And, and it was amazing. So I would sit on summer afternoons in front of the air conditioner, picture this on the side of the road on my mom's house, singing into the air conditioning my love for Tanya, and it went something like this. By the way, before I, before I share the lyrics with you, I know you're like, this is the greatest sermon I've ever heard in my life, right? <laughs> so th- there is a spiritual point to this. Just hang on. So, so there was a song, a very popular song in those days. This is like the early 80s or around 1980s, and there was a song out uh, made famous by a lady named Roberta Flack called Feelings. And I decided to write my song to Tanya to the tune of Feelings. So it went something like this. Tanya... You may be short, but you're cute. Tanya, right? Now, no, I'm not. Yes, I, I remember all of the lyrics. No, I'm not singing them for you, okay? I love and adore you, but not that much, okay? The point is this, is that as difficult as a segue as this might be, band, come on up, okay? Um, that's why we sing songs to God. Everything I just said. We think about someone and, and we, we think of these things about them and, and we, we have this deep love and respect for them. That's how we love God. It's one of the ways we love God is we adore Him. And, and so, so as the band's coming up right now, don't miss this right here, okay? That's the point of the singing part of a worship service. And I, I realize we may have tire kickers in here and young believers, but I want to teach you right now as your pastor, the point of singing is to adore God. It's not just a concert. When you, some of you walk in and we're singing, and the reason we're already singing when you walk in is some of you don't walk in until like 18 minutes after 10, and I just want to share with you because nobody else might have. We start 10, church at 10 o'clock on the dot, okay? And, and, and by the way, before you get offended by that, okay, just show up on time and then I don't have to say anything, okay? And, and I, realize, I realize that some of you may be thinking, wait a minute, sometimes you, you go really long when you're talking up here. That's correct, but we don't publish an ending time for this service. We do publish a beginning time, right? So if you'll be here by the time we begin, you'll get to hear all the amazing music, okay? Anyway, So it's not a concert, it's not a jam session, it's not something that the band does and we watch. It's this moment when we can intentionally connect for the one who died for us and gave us this brand new life by singing songs to him. I've shared this story before that my daughters, when they were really little, they would periodically come up to me and say, Daddy, I learned a song. I want to sing it to you. Your kids have probably done something similar. And and it was always amazing to me because uh, neither Michelle nor I have one ounce of singing ability in our bodies. And that means our daughters got double measure of that curse, right? And so when my daughters would sing to me, to the normal human that didn't know us, it was horrible. Like, it sounded something like an animal dying when they would sing this song. But don't miss this. As their daddy, the one they were singing it to, it was beautiful. Because I was their daddy and they wanted to sing for me. 
And so sometimes we make the mistake as believers as thinking singing's for the singers. Wrong. That's not true. Singing is simply a way for you to adore your daddy. The daddy who's never going to walk out on you. The daddy who's never going to give up on you. The daddy who is going to believe in you and love you no matter what you do. No matter how many times you fall on your face. No matter how many times you mess up. No matter how selfish you are. Your heavenly daddy loves you. And when we sing these songs like we're about to stand and do in just a minute, it's just our opportunity to say, I love you so much, Daddy, because you love me first. And so we close with this statement on the screen today. Loving God is not a chore that we have to complete or a box that we have to check off. It is our response to His love for us. Psalm 116, verse 1 and 2 says this, I love the Lord God because He hears... I love Him because He hears my voice and my prayer for mercy. Because He bends down to listen to me and picture bending down to a little child. Because He bends down to listen, I will pray as long as I have breath. Insert in that word pray, sing, serve, give. Because of His love for me, I will do that as long as I have breath left in my body. So how do you love God in a practical way? You learn more about Him. Because the more you know Him, the more you will love Him, and you can't love someone you do not know. How do you learn more about Him? You spend time with Him. Chair time, man. Don't be legalistic about it. Just do it. Just find some time every day to connect with your Heavenly Father. And if you do those two things, you're going to learn to adore Him on a level that you never have. It's going to connect, people. It will, I promise. And we do all that. We love God because of His love for us. And the song we're about to sing is on purpose. Because here's what happens to people, right? We hear things like this, and then we go through these really dry, dark seasons in our life. And we're like, I don't even know if I feel God. And, and, and the Bible actually uses the word dry because it relates to the droughts and the famines that people in Bible times used to have, right? And rain clouds were a sign of life. Like in Scripture, when you see rain, it, it equals life because water meant everything to these people in Jesus' day when the Bible was written. And they would go through long, dry periods of drought, just like you and I do in our lives. But then the, the sky would darken and the clouds would get gray. And they weren't afraid of that. That was a sign of life. And this song we're about to sing is called There It Is a Cloud. And the reason we sing songs, the reason we do chair time, the reason we love God is because the cloud's coming to bring life. And that cloud comes because God, listen, if you don't get anything else from the Bridge Fellowship ever, don't miss this. The cloud comes because God really loves you. He loves you. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us. I'm humbled. I'm blown away by the fact 
that you care about me because I know me and I know how often I screw it up but yet you love anyway so God just as you commanded us in scripture to love you with all our heart our soul and our mind and to love other people we're going to demonstrate our love for you right now daddy by just singing a song for you and not all of us have the most beautiful voices but I know what matters to you is what's in our heart so thank you Jesus for loving us and bending down to listen to our cry it's in Jesus name we pray